I don't know if they're ready for our energy today, fellas. Everybody all right? Everybody straight? Let's eat. Family on three. One, two, three. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. I'm Mike Hopkins, the founder of PCBB1917.com, and I want to thank you for joining me again. This is episode seven overall and the third episode this season. Last time we spoke, Brendan McGarry of the Pawtucket Times and I previewed Providence's season opener against Vermont, and we're back a couple weeks later to recap the first seven games of the season. Providence went 5-2 in November with wins against Vermont, Grambling State, St. Francis, Memphis, and New Hampshire. With their two losses uh, against Ohio State on the road in the Gavit tip-off games, and then down in Florida against uh, then number 7 Virginia in the championship of the Emerald Coast Classic. Without further ado, let's get to my chat with Brendan, where we quickly recapped all seven games in November and finished with a discussion about the PCURI rivalry game upcoming on Saturday afternoon. I'll see you on the other side. All right, and uh, let's welcome Brendan in. We're going to start uh, with recapping some of the November games. Providence 5-2 and two in the first seven games over the course of about two weeks in November. Um, first of all, Brendan, uh, happy belated Thanksgiving to you. I didn't, haven't been up to the dunk in a couple of weeks. How's everything going? Good, Mike. Uh, no complaints. Hope you had a very good holiday. And, uh, you know, uh, the Friars, uh, officially November is in the rearview mirror, and we turn our attention to December, that portion of the non-conference schedule, and we begin with uh, a, a doozy, I guess you could say, uh, with the uh, University of Rhode Island nationally ranked Rams coming to the dunk on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so December should be a very interesting month, um, obviously, but let's let's talk about a little bit about each of the seven games uh, first game, we have uh, Vermont opening night, November 14th. I know there's a little bit of nerves among Friar fans, and then all of a sudden they just kind of won pretty easily. I think my one takeaway was that I was pretty impressed with the effort that they gave, being that it was their first game, especially since they started pretty slow against Carlton a couple weeks before. With a lot of new pieces on opening night and maybe some nerves, I was just impressed that they were able to kind of put the throttle down on a team that they're better than. Well, my biggest takeaway, and this obviously this goes back to the exhibition game as well, was the play of uh, Emmett Holt that night. You know, I think uh, some people were discussing when was the last time uh, PC had a true low post presence where you could throw the ball into and, you know, he can go make plays and whatnot. I mean, you know, 22 points that night. Uh, he was absolutely a beast against a smaller Vermont front line. You know, the kind of performance that you hope to see moving forward and, the other, the other key takeaway was, you know, the Friars had nine threes that night. I mean, for a team that has, you know, made the NCAA tournament the last few years, they really haven't been a very good shoot team from distance. So that was definitely an encouraging sign to see. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of been a trend for this team moving forward uh, that they've been able to shoot and, and connect from deep. That's something that they'll definitely need as the uh, calendar switched to December. Uh, next up, the Friars traveled on the road to Ohio State. That was part of the Gavit tip-off games. Uh, Providence hung tough. Uh, definitely a pretty solid Ohio State team. I think they were even a little bit better than I expected. And Providence was the uh, igniter of the uh, Jaquan Lyle kickstart because he was pretty terrible in their first before Providence went to Ohio State, and he's been very good since. But I think my biggest takeaway is that they hung tough, and uh, and you know Ohio State's a team that that played uh, Virginia tough the other night too. So uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing was that they went on the road and they didn't look like they were totally lost. 
No, they didn't look like they were total fish out of water. I mean, if Ed Cooley could have drawn it up, he probably would have done it differently in terms of bringing a, his young team out on the road, especially for the second game of the year, and even particular to a, uh, a Big Ten school, no less. But, uh, you know, the Friars were down 10 at the half. They ended up outscoring uh, Ohio State by five after halftime. And, you know, they got uh, close to a couple times, couldn't, you know, get that one shot or that one stop that would have kind of get them over the proverbial hump. But I think all in all, you know, Ed Cooley had to be very pleased about, uh, you know, coming away from Ohio State with not getting absolutely blown out and maybe having more questions than, that were, than were already on his plate to begin with. Yeah, I think, too, that it did sort of feel like they got themselves into a hole big enough that it was just big enough that they'd be able to come back but never get over the hump. So I think that's probably true, true what you said there. Um, next up, they returned home. And, but just, just to give everybody a little re- refresher, uh, the first four games of the season, I think, were in seven days because of the late start to the season. So game number three, and we're, uh, I think it was like the Saturday, so... You know, it's a, pretty quick. A noontime game, though, less, too. You know, right. they played yeah. Ohio and State on a Thursday night. They chartered home that night. And, you know, next thing you know, because of uh, TV, you know, you're playing Grambling at high noon on a Saturday. And, you know, before we dive into that, that I think that's easily maybe the most uh, uh, discouraging performance of the Friars' non-conference schedule to date. Uh, you know, maybe, like we said, maybe it had other factors to do with it between the time of the game and coming home late on a Thursday night. But, uh it was a game that had more questions uh, than, uh, you know, obviously answers and not exactly. And Ed Cooley, I think you were there that too, Mike, that day. That wasn't exactly uh, an encouraging uh, press conference from Ed Cooley afterwards. Right, especially when he walked in the room and there was about three of us sitting there. He was a little bit surprised that nobody was there. Right. But, uh, yeah, I just think, I mean, they, they, they sort of like, they played down to the level of Grambling a little bit, and then Grambling took the opportunity to try to play up a little bit, and their big guy played pretty well, I thought, and I think Cooley even mentioned him in the post game. But, yeah, definitely a lackadaisical effort. Um, I think that it sort of is indicative of the ups and downs that this team is probably going to be on a ride of this season because they do have still a lot of inexperienced players, and even the returning players are all in new roles. So I think you are going to see games like that, and obviously Grambling is pretty bad so that they could still win that game. But, yeah, I think I agree. It was probably the the least happy that Ed Cooley probably was, even though they won the game. I mean, maybe my other biggest takeaway, and maybe this is more historical reference than anything, you know, we've seen PC a couple times and prior to Ed Cooley, you know, stubbed their toe in one of these games at the dunk against a, a lesser weight coming in, and, uh, you know, the Friars end up losing, and it creates more panic in the street. You know, even though the Friars were not clearly on top of their game Saturday, you know, they still able, that Saturday, they were still able to kind of, quote-unquote, grind it out, and I think that says more about the coaching that's in place now than maybe before, whereas, you know, you let a grambling team you know, come in that, you know, you think in theory is going to be a cakewalk and you kind of take care of business against them and uh, that was definitely a encouraging sign that Ed did not allow them to really really subvert to the level of play and really play down the competition to the point where Grambling really thought they had a chance to win yeah and I think that that, that was probably the beginning of a theme that I think you, you we're going to see and you kind of see in the upcoming games Certainly, maybe not as much against St. Francis, but definitely in Memphis, definitely in the Virginia game, and then certainly against uh, New Hampshire in the most recent game on Wednesday night, is that they do kind of have these stretches on offense where 
they just seem to either not be able to get good looks or even the looks they get are hurried and and uh, it's you know and i think that for me one of the things that'd be interesting to go i'm going to eventually go back and, and actually watch some of this but my gut take is that i think that you'll see when you look at those stretches where they're slumping on offense those are probably stretches where they have two or more freshmen on the floor and that certainly was the case wednesday night against new hampshire but i think that happened a little bit in this game cooley thinking grambling you know not very good maybe it's a game i can get my young guys it's the third game in since Tuesday and or Monday, so maybe we can rest some of the other guys. But yeah, I, I think that that's you're going to see some some of those kind of lacks of scoring for periods, and you'll see how it hurts them potentially against a better team. And it also too, like you know, we'll probably delve into this in the future games we get into. But it's also leading up to, after that Grambling game, it probably gave uh, Ed Cooley a little more, you know, wondering. How can they get all these guys into the mix, incorporate them? Because right now the Friars on roughly are playing ten guys per night. You know, any, you've watched any PC team under Cooley's watch, and they've been lucky to go seven deep, maybe eight deep at the most. And this is kind of new uncharted territory for the head coach in terms of trying to fit all these pieces in. But uh, as we've seen, like after the Grambling game and when the Friars went down to Florida, there is a way to get some of these guys into the mix that. Uh, Maybe uh, they weren't going to be there before. Yeah, and I think to, just to just to get over the uh, to, to the next game with St. Francis, it just seems like they. I mean, obviously, didn't have Holt that game. He had a, a ha- sore hamstring that he tweaked, so they they sat him. But they just seemed like they decided that they were gonna okay. Khalif Young's gonna start. Let's give him the ball. He's bigger than everyone on St. Francis. And he really kind of flexed his muscles. He had a pretty good game. I think it was, I would certainly say, his most complete game, even though it's against a much lesser opponent. But um, it's just the, the St. Francis win, I thought, the, my biggest takeaway was that they were able to get some of those young guys' minutes and then get them a little bit of confidence heading down to play a, a better team like Memphis uh, down in Florida. Yeah, and maybe right. Just talking about more Khalif Young against St. Francis. You know, the Friars really made a concerted effort to get dump the ball down into him and let him kind of go to work against a, a St. Francis front line that, you know, maybe similar to Vermont, did not have the size or the strength to really match up against a uh, you know a Big East type of uh, body. But the other impressive take about uh, Khalif Young was his ability to run the floor. You know, you would think for a big guy. You know, that he is, you know, he wouldn't be able to, you know, outrun the defense, but he did it on a couple occasions, and uh, he was able to take a couple of home run passes, so to speak, and convert them, so it was nice to see that he's uh, not just a, a low-post guy, but he's also a guy that, you know, I wouldn't want to lean my fast break every single time, but it's a guy that, uh, you know, when you look up and see him out there, you know that uh, good things will happen. Yeah, and I think that... Going down to Memphis after that, having the having those guys get a little bit of uh, a little bit of run and a little bit of extra confidence, I think. I mean, it's, uh, I, the Memphis game was so hard to watch, mainly because it was just really ugly on both sides. I mean, you had like I think it was something like the teams combined for twenty two turnovers in the first half, and it was really ugly. Nobody seemed to want to get a shot, but I think that in terms of a takeaway I, I the the two things i really were, was focused on taking away from that game was that cooley tr- realized pretty early on that zone was the way to go cuz memphis just could not hit a shot they had no kind of zone offense in place it was clear so cooley 
recognizing it, switching to it, even though he likes to play man-to-man. And then the other takeaway is I think they did a pretty good job against uh, Dedrick Lawson. Yeah, it's uh, I like the, just uh, segueing to uh, the Memphis game now. It just, uh, you know, you didn't know how this team was going to react once again facing a upper echelon team after playing a couple of low-level uh, Division One teams. But you know, my biggest takeaway with this was you know the Friars uh, threw a little press, a little uh, pressure defense on uh, the Tigers, and that's what kind of get them let them get back in the game, eventually take the lead. You know, you watch that game in the first half, and the Friars really struggled in a half-court set. And, you know, to Ed Cooley's credit, he came, he went in, made an adjustment. He put Isaiah Jackson on the ball, and that really kind of generated the Friars' offense where they were able to get some uh, easy transition stuff. And next thing you know, the Friars take the lead, and they never looked back. Yeah, and, I, and obviously uh, Memphis is probably a better team than they showed in that game, but but I think that... Getting a win against a team, even though they're not technically in one of the quote-unquote Power Five conferences, I think that's a team that has pretty good players and matches up in terms of talent and size of players better than anybody Providence played aside from Ohio State. So, I mean, just to be able to hang on, and they, I think they ended up winning by nine, so it's not like they, uh, they squeaked it out necessarily, but I think that just just being able to figure out a way to win against a pretty good team, not on the road, but away from home. I think that's that's probably something that they'll be able to look for as yeah, they get into actually, December. I think that was, you know, a huge building block, a huge confidence booster for that team. Like you said, it's Memphis is not a team that uh, resides in the quote-unquote Power Five, but it's still a program that, you know, still has a little bit of a national uh, pulse to it. And, you know, for the Friars, you know, ended up outscoring them by 10 in the second half. It was... Uh, it was nice to see that they were going to go down to Florida and at least not come away, quote-unquote, empty-handed. You know, some people were like, oh, you know, they go down to Florida. Who do, They lose to Memphis. Uh, they ended up uh, play, playing Iowa. You know, there's a chance that maybe they end up going 0-2. But for them to, you know, at least assure themselves of getting a split and doing so that first night of uh, the Florida portion of the Emerald Coast Classic was a huge uh, achievement, at least in my eyes. Yeah, and I think, too, just to segue now to the Virginia game, I think just as I kind of wrote before that game, I think getting just getting that game on their resume is a positive win or lose because you get it. I mean, they're number seven that at the time. They're number six this week in the AP poll. So that's a team that – and the ACC, obviously, getting an ACC team, I think the ACC is a better league than the Big Ten. So if you can get an ACC team and their opponent's opponents for the RPI, that's better than the Big Ten. So just to get to that game – was probably the biggest part of the weekend. And obviously winning it would have been gravy, but the fourth year in a row that Providence was in the finals of one of their preseason tournaments. So that's another positive to take away. And I think that even though they this, I think the, the score didn't really indicate how close the game actually was. I felt like they probably played, I mean, obviously I think they were down at, at one point by 12 or 14 points, but they, they just, my biggest takeaway was that they, they really fought back against a good team and Virginia's kind of their ethos of how they play is that they're playing so that they try to break your will and for Providence to just kind of stick around and keep fighting back and that not have their will broken against one of the better defensive teams in the country, I thought well, was my Virginia, biggest takeaway. Their calling card is obviously defense and we saw that the night before when they held Iowa to what, about 40, 41 points. And you were thinking, you know, you watched PC struggle 
at least in the first half against Memphis, to score the basketball. And you're wondering, you know, how is PC going to be able to even stay close to the Cavaliers? But PC's credit, they did. You know, once again, we saw a little more defensive pressure, you know, extending it to full court with, uh, you know, Ed Cooley once again, you know, switching between Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Lindsay as the quote-unquote quarterback assigned to, you know, check the ball and guard the ball. I mean, you know, I I think that was a, like just like the Ohio State, uh, State game, Mike, I think uh, even though it was a loss, you didn't feel discouraged about the actual outcome. Because, you know, D.C. hung tough, you know, clearly uh, facing an opponent that had more talent, more seasoned players than uh, you do. So to not get blown out and at least uh, come home from Florida feeling good about yourself as you open this uh, this current uh, homestand, you know, Fries had to be feel very encouraged. Yeah, and then and I think, too, uh, just before we talk about the New Hampshire game, I think... Uh, another interesting thing was uh, Cooley's radio show this past week. I think it was Tuesday night. One of the big things he was talking about was that you need to be patient with this team. And he said he's even struggling to be patient with this team. But I think overall, Friar fans have been pretty patient. Nobody's really going nuts at, over losing to Ohio State on the road and to a top 10 team in Virginia and Florida. I don't think people are, aren't losing their minds, whereas just to get a little ahead of ourselves and talk about the URI a little bit, if you go over to some of their message boards and their Twitter after their loss to Valparaiso the other night, it was like the world was ending. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what, the, what a little bit of preseason expectations can do to a fan base's psyche, uh, and that's, it's certainly playing itself out between the yeah. two Rhode Island teams. Like, like you said, we'll talk about URI in a little bit, but even Ed Cooley after the UNH game last night, you know, he mentioned – you know, URI, they were picked very high to finish in their league, the Atlantic 10, while PC was finished, uh, picked to finish ninth in the Big East in the preseason poll. So uh, he talked about expectations, and, you know, expectations have a way of, uh, you know, raising the ante with the fan base and making them more, you know, excited, but also at the same time, if there's a tr- if somebody trips, like, you know, URI did the other night against Valparaiso, there's going to be, uh, you know, this panic in the sky, chicken little mentality that, uh, Kind of puts a uh, a pall over the whole situation, but you know Ed Cooley's credit. You know since day one, even before the start of the seasons, he's really talked about patience with this group, and that really message hasn't really wavered through wins, losses, facing the likes of Grambling or even Virginia. The message has been pretty stable, and I think you know Fire fans, for the most part, understand that it's going to be a year of building, and you know trying to get better and see where this team stands rotation-wise going into Big East play. Whereas at URI, you already have these high expectations, and to the, in, the, in the fan base's eyes, you can do no very little right, I guess, maybe the way to say it. Uh, if you go out to Valparaiso, you're expected to win, in theory, and if you do win, great. If you lose... That kind of raises a little, uh, you know, the flags to a degree. What's the status of this team, so to speak? So you look at where the two teams are right now and where the perception is. I think, uh, you know, it's it's vastly different. And But, you know, if you're PC, you like to think that you're a trending upward program, whereas URI, you know, there's nowhere really to go except down. Yeah, it's definitely, I think that's definitely true. Um, just to, just to get in UNH before we dive into the URI game, um, obviously Rodney Bullock with a career high 36. That's a pretty, uh, pretty good takeaway. Um, <clears throat> but again, my, my th- thought from earlier, just to kind of get back to it, 
and something I kind of thought about initially last night was the fact that you did see Providence go into some offensive slumps, and that allowed UNH to get back in the game. And just watching the game last night, um, they're all going through an offensive slump, and you realize, well, they have Malik White, Alpha Diallo, Khalif Young on the court at the same time, so maybe that's probably a, a, a good good uh, evidence to suggest why they're, they're struggling. And I think one interesting thing to take away from that and look forward is – and he might even be able to look forward as as close as Saturday, is how is Ed Cooley going to dole out the minutes in games against tighter competition where you can't really afford a five-minute stretch of not scoring? Yeah, last night you could afford a little bit because you had such a huge lead, but you know you look at a guy like Ryan Fizikas last night who was in the starting lineup, and he took only two shots. I th- would think against URI, given you know the expected electricity and obviously the talent level, going to be amped up considerably, you know, the, the leash is going to be considerably shorter for some guys, and, you know, it might be a, it might be uh, the game where Ed Cooley stays with his starting group a little bit longer. He rides like the Emmett Holtz of the world, because last night, I think Emmett Holt was on the floor for maybe three minutes, maybe three and change to start the game, and he was taken out and replaced by Khalif Young. Now, granted, you know, Emmett Holt had an injury a couple weeks ago that sidelined him for one game. But he looked pretty healthy to me last night, and I don't think we'll see that kind of rotation plan moving forward. Even you know, Drew Edwards was the first guy off the bench last night for the Friars. I don't think maybe that's going to be the tendency unless the Ed Cooley decides to you know press like he has been the last couple games and decides to put uh, uh, Edwards in to be uh, shadowy, maybe like Jared Terrell or uh, or Jarvis Garrett. So I just uh, it'll be interesting to see how Cooley does his uh, rotation because there is going to come a point where you're going to have to draw the line of demarcation and say this is the group, maybe the eight players or so that I'm going to ride with, and everybody else is kind of maybe, you know, just fill in here and there. Yeah, and I think that's been certainly been his tendency with other teams with shorter benches as the season has gone on, but uh, it's even a little bit more difficult this year with so many new players to integrate. Um, before we dive into the matchup on the court against Rhode Island on Saturday, uh, give everybody a couple of notes about the series, uh, and then maybe if uh, after that, if you want to talk about what this game means to the state of Rhode Island, being a native Rhode Islander, uh, which I am not. Uh, but first, let's get some notes. Um, both teams are five and two. Uh, both teams have one loss against a top ten team from the ACC. Um, both both of those losses were in the finals of the preseason tournaments that each team played. Providence has won the last six times the teams have met. Ed Cooley is 5-0 and in his tenure as the head coach against Rhode Island. Uh, the last time the URI beat Providence at the dunk was December 7, 2002. This will be the second time that Providence and Rhode Island have played when PC's unranked and URI's in the AP Top 25, the other time being November 14, 1998 when Providence defeated a 23rd-ranked URI team, 87-63, at the dunk. So those are those are some notes ahead of the game. So I don't know if you want to get into the the, the rivalry well, as just, a rivalry. Uh, you know, maybe adding like a personal flavor to uh, you know what you just said, that 2002 game you referenced when URI uh, beat PC at the dunk. That was actually my, my senior year at PC, and I remember that game quite vividly sitting under the basket and uh, – Watching, I, I don't know, I forgot if it was uh, Dustin Halanga or Dewan Robinson uh, going in for a layup with, like, you know, time running out. 
But uh, and even uh, you know, dating back to that 1998 game, I think that was uh, Lamar Odom's one and only year in Kingston, and Tim Welsh's first year at the helm for the Friars, and that was uh, that was an unbelievable game as well. You know, Ed Cooley referenced this last night, and I believe it's really true. You know, this game is a lot better and intriguing when both are good. Where URI, obviously, they got the acclaim. They're nationally ranked this week. They'll continue to carry that ranking into Saturday's game. Where PC, you know, they have that bit of a reputation that comes from winning the Big East Championship and going to the NCAA tournament each of the last three years. I think, you know, maybe for the first time in a while that both teams are kind of not necessarily standing on the same plane, so to speak, but they're kind of, I'm not even going to say they're evenly matched because they both have different strengths. But, you know, both are in a good position right now in terms of, uh, you know, feeling maybe good about themselves. The Rams being nationally ranked, even though they're coming off a loss. The Friars, you know, have really, you know, been buried by the youth of this team so far and the inexperience. So it's uh, it's one of, the, one of the more compelling matchups in recent history, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and if it lives up to anything like the finish that we had last year down in uh, the Ryan Center, it would be... It'd be appointment appointment television, and certainly uh, it'd be good to see if you can scrounge up a ticket for Saturday afternoon at four thirty. I believe it is close to, or if not, a sellout at this point. But uh, on a different level, you know, you look at last year's matchup, that uh, you know, Chris Dunn with the layup at the end, that uh, Ben Bentel uh, finish with a putback. You know, even last year, the hype going that game was kind of lost a little bit with, you know, EC Matthews not playing, URI's big star getting hurt in the first game of the year for uh, the Rams. So I feel like you know. Last year, obviously, as exciting as it was, as much as a great atmosphere it was, I feel like this is like the true, the first real PCURI game that we're seeing in a while where both teams are kind of orbiting the same stratosphere. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Ed Cooley has said it, and I think Dan Hurley has said it too. It's great for the state of Rhode Island when both teams are good because then this game is more than just a tight game because it's a rivalry it's a tight game because both teams are very competitive and uh and that's always that's always a positive um i think that maybe the first thing to do when we're talking to try to preview this game is if I, I i was looking at this just to try to think about the matchup and i think maybe if we go through the starting fives of each team i i kind of get a sense just looking at it that uri has a distinct advantage in terms of the matchups um kyron cartwright's not exactly the best defensive player so you got him guarding Jarvis Garrett. Uh, that's, you know, with the amount of pick and roll that URI runs, I think that could be a real a real problem area for Providence. And I think you might even see Ed Cooley rotating a little bit more of the Isaiah Jackson defensive line as opposed to Ryan Fazekas. Because I don't know, who's Fazekas going to guard yeah, I just think on this yeah, team? This is maybe one of those bad matchups for him. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Ed Cooley maybe goes in a different direction with his starting lineup, maybe to have Isaiah Jackson to start just for more defensive purpose than it, purposes than anything. Yeah, and even maybe you see Drew Edwards get in the mix if they, like you said earlier, if they decide to press. But even if you know URI goes with, you know, I mean, if you think about between Garrett Matthews and Terrell, I mean, those three guys, you can only have Jalen Lindsay on one of them, and. I don't know that Cartwright can play defense. Certainly Malik White would not necessarily be the keenest defensive replacement either. So it'd be interesting to see if Cooley tries to just go with his defense lineup to try to just stifle URI, or does he try to outscore them at home because they're playing at home and try to maybe 
you know, play a different pace with a press and maybe run a little bit, although I don't know if running against the guards they have is a great idea. But just it'd be interesting to see the, the difference between how he played, say, against a Memphis and how he's going to play yeah, against and URI. that's why I think, uh, you know, the Memphis game in particular kind of prepared PC for what they're going to face on Saturday, you know, kind of a guard-oriented group. And, you know, what's one way to kind of, like, take the guards out of it? You know, maybe speed up the game a little bit to the point where they're spiraling out of control, you know, maybe they're making lazy passes, careless passes, throwing the ball over the court. You know, I don't I haven't watched enough of URI this year on tape to to see if they you know they've been pressed or anything like that, but you have to think that Dan Hurley has seen enough of PC in these last three games to know that, you know, he's gonna be prepared for some kind of trapping scheme and you know, it could be all hands on deck between Garrett, uh Easty Matthews and uh, Jared Terrell in terms of handling the ball. Yeah, and I think you'll you'll probably see Lindsey guard whoever's hot. I would assume that's the the strategy. But I mean, I think he'll probably if it was me, I would start Lindsey on Jared Terrell because in watching some of the recent uh, games of URI, he's been very impressive. EC Matthews doesn't seem he had, like he has his full footing under him yet, and I think Jared Terrell is playing with a different level of confidence right now. I mean, he, the way that he's shooting jumpers consistently. I mean, if he's shooting jumpers like that and can get as he is as a guard, I mean, that's probably one of the tougher matchups of any guard Providence will face the entire season, even when they get into Big yeah, East play. It's it's going to be, I think, a great game. I mean, I'll I'll go on the record right now. I think it's going to be a very close game. You know, you like to think that the home court advantage will give the Friars a little bit of a uh, a spark in this one, even though URI maybe top to bottom they have the more complete team, the more seasoned team, the more talent. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what should be a very exciting game. There should be a lot of energy in the building. You know, URI people are probably coming up and thinking this is our best opportunity to win since uh, 2009. And, by, and uh, it, there's a lot of elements in play, and that's why I think this is one of the more compelling PCURI games in recent history. Not to mention the 4.30 start allows for a lot of pregame yes, beverages. Yes, absolutely. So that's that'll that'll be helpful, and then obviously uh, probably good for the local economy. You get a lot of people going out to dinner after the game up on Federal Hill and elsewhere. So uh, it, it should be a fun one Saturday. I personally am uh, rolling with eleven people. We have eleven tickets. A um, bunch of uh, my fiance's friends from college, and we're all going together. So that'll be fun. Um, but I'll see you up there. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting, and uh, hopefully it's as compelling so as we think it'll be. You'll be at a uh, at a fan enjoyment kind of boat Saturday, not be in uh, you know press row uh, setup, or are you going to uh, truly enjoy yourself and in, in uh, the whole ambiance? Uh, that's uh, I think I might be more on leaning yes. towards the ambiance. I'll, I'll bring my credential just in case, but uh, you know I think there are certain games where I think it's it's acceptable to. Uh, to, to go to the other side of the fence and, and have some fun, and we're going to go out in Boston after. So we're making a weekend out of it, which I think a lot of people in Rhode Island Absolutely. will probably be doing and, too. Uh, you know, like you said, the 4.30 start time, I think it's great because, you, like you said, it, it allows people to maybe, uh, you know, head to their local watering hole before the game, come on over. You'll get out early enough. It'll be over by maybe 6.30, quarter of 7, and head out head out back out for uh, a little uh, post-game uh, dinner. So... I think starting time-wise, I think they did uh, everyone a favor. The one thing that I kind of, uh, you know, is maybe a downside, and I haven't maybe really looked into this yet, and I know you you check in the TV listings and everything like that, but I don't know what channel it's going to be on in Rhode Island. 
right now. Uh, I know um, it's 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 uh, supposed to be FSN is carrying it. It's not going to be on Fox Sports One or Fox Sports Two for that matter. And you know CBS uh, Sports Network didn't pick up the game either. So be it. I forgot to look it up. Uh, what channel that game is going to be on in Rhode Island specifically? Right now, it's showing uh, Cox Ocean State Network for that. Which uh, um, there's a lot of random Fox Sports regional channels like Midwest, North Florida. I'll have something up on the site for everybody, but. Yeah, right now it looks like the OSN Cox channel. I don't know about in New York, though, because normally it would be on the Yes Network, and there's a Brooklyn Nets game. So I don't know if anybody down by me, everybody's worried about how they're going to watch the game. I think you, you just go, go to a bar with a satellite. And uh, you go from there. But, uh, you know, it should be an excellent game. should be a very high-wattage uh, excitement game. Uh, you know, this is... Uh, you know, for more so than the Rams, this is like the, you know the, their best chance to sw- quote unquote slay the proverbial dragon. And I know specifically when you look ahead, you know PC has bigger fish to fry come conference play. You know, facing Villanova, those are the games, and they're going to def- uh, decide the season, so to speak. But for one day in Rhode Island, it's like you know this is uh, quote unquote bag- braggy rights and everything that goes with it, and uh, should be a lot of fun before each team kind of goes their separate ways. Definitely. Just one one little tidbit. Uh, since we, we're, you know, I don't want to get too deep into things, uh, stats and everything before a game. But uh, one area of potential um, advantage for Providence is that URI gives up a ton of free throws per game. They are averaging twenty two. Their opponents are averaging twenty two foul shots a game, whereas Providence uh, is is allowing their opponents fourteen and a half. So you can get a little comparison. So twenty two is a lot. And if Providence can get to the line and, and score the ball, that could be their their calling card to win a close game on Saturday. But where they will, by the way, be favored. Everyone's talking about underdogs. Yes. I truly kept talking about underdogs. But when the line comes out on Friday, it'll probably be a two or two and a half point Providence favor. One last question before we uh, you know conclude matters is who on URI is going to guard uh, Roddy Bullock? I mean, uh, you know, Colin Iverson has kind of been like MIA recently for the Rams and. You know, I don't know if they wanted to expend all the energy on E.C. Matthews' part to guard uh, to guard Rodney Bullock, especially when he's going to give up a couple inches. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. If, if they open with Hassan Martin, then, then you can maybe get an idea how worried they really will be because I don't think they really want him guarding him either, but he might be the best matchup that URI has of the starting five. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Bullock, I mean, obviously coming off 36 points, a career high, uh, he's going to I mean, hopefully feeling good, but I, I the, the problem with Bullock so far early in his career, to the extent that there is a problem, but I think that is the, the level of inconsistency that he's played with. So to see 36 from him the other night was a little bit worrisome because now I'm starting to worry he might go for 12, and I don't think Providence wins if he scores no, 12 think, on Saturday. Uh, you know, it's kind of like everyone's saying, you know, you know just uh, throwing a base now. You know, Rick Porcello wins Cy Young, and everyone's saying next year there's going to be huge market correction of the guy you just expect a little bit of a downslide kind of similar with Rodney Bullock you know you kind of expecting after a 36 point game you know is he going to like you know fall back to maybe like the 10 to 12 to 15 point range and you know if that happens I think URI will chances will figure to improve greatly well uh not much else to say from us uh but everybody uh Tune in, get to the dunk early. It should be a fun time, and uh, I'll see you up there. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll see you. Maybe I'll just Absolutely. see you from a distance. You can find me, you know, in the uh, the quote unquote Bud Light Suite. <laughs>
as I like to call it, uh, the, uh, the yeah, tunnel, that's... the hanging above the uh, PC tunnel there. Yeah, that's always that's yes, always a good is. time up there. All right, well, I'll see you Saturday, and uh, thanks Everyone for joining have, me. Uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. All right, well, that'll do it for another episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. I want to thank Brendan for joining me again to recap November's games and preview the big rivalry game up, uh, up ahead on Saturday afternoon. Uh, just a couple of notes. You can follow uh, the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can go to uh, Overcast is the, the service I use. You can go to any of the different podcast episodes and subscribe. You'll get the newest episodes loaded directly to your phone. Uh, whenever they're posted, and hopefully we'll have a couple of months, as I've been saying. So, so far, we've been doing pretty well. Um, and then uh, you can get me on uh, f- uh, Instagram, PCBB1917, same as Twitter. I'm trying to do a little more Instagramming this year. Um, so far, it's been it's been pretty, pretty good so far. I've been keeping up with it. So follow me over there. You can follow me on Twitter. Keep reading the site. And as always, stay classy for town. Mm-hmm.